We all know, don't we, why Jesus' command to his followers was not love humanity. Because we all know it's easy to love humanity. The problem comes with humans. Right? We all know why he didn't say love everybody. Because we all know we all love everybody. He said love your neighbor. Love displays itself when it gets very specific. Jesus said, love one another. These people in these pews next to us, in this body, love one another. Not just love the world, love Harry from accounting, you know, who's always giving you a hard time about your TPS reports. Not just love the world, but those of you in retail, love that customer. You know the one. And though you've heard it your whole life, this is the one that makes you think the customer is in fact not always right. Love that contractor you're working with. Love that classmate. You know what she wrote on social media. Love that person. Love that neighbor whose dog is barking at 3 a.m. Love that person. That individual, not just love humanity, love that person. Don't be like that little boy who was on a crowded elevator. And as the elevator got more and more crowded, that little boy was overheard to say, Mommy, I love the world. It's people I can't stand. You've been there, right? You know the poem? To dwell above with the saints I love. Oh, that will be my glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, now that's a different story. And yet, the command never goes away. Love one another. You know when Jesus gave that command? Can you go back there with me in your mind's eye? We're going to observe the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. What better place to go in our mind's eye than that upper room? Think uh, John 13, somewhere around there where, where Jesus has his disciples gathered. He's teaching them. And you remember he washes the disciples' feet. Remember that incredible moment? The devil had already entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot to tempt him to go and do his wicked deed. Jesus says, what you're going to do, go and do quick. And immediately Judas got up and left, and the Bible says ominously, and it was night. And in more than one way, it indeed was. After Judas had departed, it was Jesus with the 11. And you know what he told him? He talked to him a little bit, and he said one of the most famous things in the whole Bible. He looked at him in John 13, 34, and he said exactly what we're saying right here. He said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Now, as long as you hear that, and as long as you think, oh yeah, love each other. Yeah, we all love each other. We're all going to walk out of here and be like, no problemo. We all love each other. But I'm not talking about each other. I'm talking about specific people. Love them. The spouse you're going home with, that child that you're with, it's charity begins at home, is that the expression, right? The, the, the community you live in, love those specific people. That, that's John's understanding. He was there that night. And those are specific disciples in the room. So when Jesus says, love one another, he's talking about Peter. He's talking about John. And can you imagine? These guys have been walking with the Lord. They have been living together. I mean, what a band of brothers. And you all know those are the people that can annoy you the most. Isn't it? It's the people you're closest to. How do you do in love 
on the final hour of that 13-hour road trip that somewhere you thought was a great idea. And you've had a wonderful week, but you are pulling in and somewhere around exit 351, right around Athens. You're so close to Coleman. How are you doing as a minivan? (laughs) The disciples have come to the end of that journey. They're exhausted. They're tired. And when Jesus said, love one another, he looked around each one of them. And you know, you know what Peter's thinking. Love, love, love John. John, that dreamer. We need action. We need swords. Jesus is about to go become king, and John's over here having a vision. We don't need visionaries. We need people of action. And John's going, love that guy? Love Peter? Love that hothead Peter who's always flying off at the mouth? They're all, when he said love one another, everybody looked at James and John. They're like, one time we asked to be the boss of everybody, and you guys have never let us forget it, right? Matthew's looking at Thomas, flaky, skeptic. They're asked, Andrew asked Thomas, you think you can love Matthew, a tax collector of the Roman emperor? You think you can trust a guy like Matthew? You think you can love him? Thomas says, I doubt it. (laughs) Here's my question. How'd they do it? Because they did it. They did it. And Jesus said, the world's going to know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And it's 2,000 years later, and the world knows these were his disciples. So you tell me how. How did they do it, and how can we? Because John was there that night, and John never forgot it, and John has had a lifetime. Remember, when John writes his letter, turn to 1 John chapter 4. When he writes his letter, 1 John chapter 4, he's had, think about it, he's almost 100 years old. He's had perhaps 70 years to think and reflect on what Jesus meant when he said love one another. And he's had a long time to think about this. And he gives us, we're not going to look at a lot of verses. This is more of a meditation to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. But he gives us what may be the most incredible verses in the entire Bible. These verses are so simple in one way. The words are so simple that even a little child can understand these words. And yet they're so profound that even the greatest Bible scholars can never plumb the depths of these verses. And they're all about loving one another. John's going to lay out in these short verses, he's going to lay out three reasons. For those of you who are note takers, three reasons why we should love one another. He's going to give us love's origin. Where does it come from? Where does it, how is it defined? He's going to give us love's proof. How is it displayed? How is it manifested? How is it shown? And love's demand. What does love demand of us? Love's origin, love's proof, love's demand. I don't know why I didn't go with the definition of love, the display of love, and the demand of love. If I could have another one, if I had a third service, I would do that, but I only have two, so here we go. Love's origin, love's proof, love's demand. Let's start with love's origin. That takes us to verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another. And there it is. Beloved, let us love one another. Don't uh, just run over quickly the fact that John here practices what he preaches. He tells them, love one another, and he starts it with beloved. In the Greek, it's beloved, love. Um, uh, 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 The beloved are gonna love. Uh, uh, He's showing you that you're supposed to love, and I love you. Um, uh, Taylor Swift said, haters gonna hate, and uh, John says, beloved gonna love. Love, 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 love. And you got it? Beloved love. That's what beloved people do. They love. Let us love one another. Why? For the origin. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Since God is the origin of love and all true love derives from him, it stands to reason that everyone who either loves God or loves neighbor with selfless devotion 
is born of God and knows God. Now, someone might say, wait, 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 wait. Uh, uh, does this mean that everybody who ever has any love in their heart, anybody who ever loves somebody else, does that mean that they're 100% for sure a Christian? Of course not, and the answer is context. Remember, we've been in a series on 1 John all about assurance of salvation. How can you know that you're truly saved? How can you know? What is the evidence? And John, over and over again, has gone back to three indicators, three evidences, three tests. And I hope by now you know them. If not, go back and watch this series again on video. You'll see over and over again, he comes back to the obedience indicator. You can have assurance that you're saved because your life is, 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 is striving toward following the things of God. You're seeking obedience to God, right? The righteous are seeking to live in this way. That's how you, the assurance, you know that you are, uh, have been a declared, a guilty sinner declared righteous in his sight. Obedience. What's the other test? Doctrine, truth. You believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You believe the truth about Christ. You profess Christ as Lord. And then love. So it's not one of these, it's all of these taken together. So this is, he's back to the love indicator. If you're keeping score, this is the third time he's come back to the love indicator. Tyndale says in his commentary on this passage, John singeth his old song again, which is great. He's coming back to love. Uh, 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 verse eight underscores the point. Anyone who does not love does not know God. In other words, just like somebody who says, oh yeah, me and, me and the man upstairs, we're good. Me and God, we're good. Well, notice you, uh, you don't really believe anything about the Bible. You don't believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, I don't believe all that stuff. I just think me and God are good. And, and, and I notice that your life doesn't in any way reflect trying to follow Christ's command. Yeah, I don't think you have to follow all that stuff. Don't want to be legalistic, so yeah, I don't think you have to do all that. Um, and, uh, and I notice that, 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 man, when certain people, their name gets brought up, you have a lot of hatred in your heart for them. Yeah, there's some people that they deserve what they're getting. Well, you'd say, well, wait a minute. You just failed all three tests. So you can say whatever you want to say, but you have no assurance that you've truly been born again. None. And that's what he's saying. You want assurance? Look around. Anyone who does not, no matter what these false teachers say, if you don't love how can you say you've been touched by the gospel and you have a heart that is so full of hatred? Why? Because of love's origin. Look at the rest of the verse, and this is the showstopper. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. David Jackman says going through 1 John is like touring the ante rooms of a great palace. Imagine a great palace and you come to those first few rooms and you walk through, he says, and we see the magnificence of the king's provision for his people. And then we come into this room and we see these incredible treasures of his grace. We come over here and we see that even if our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. And we come over here and we see greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we see all these great treasures of the king as we get closer and closer. He says in 1 John 4, 8, the throne room doors are flung open and we see the God himself who is love. He says, this is the centerpiece of this text and it is majestic. God is love. What does that mean? I wanna dive deep just for a second. We won't stay here long, but we need to deep dive into that. It means that love is not just something God does, it's who he is, it's his nature. See, God does a lot of things. God creates, 
God speaks, God acts, but he is love. That means, that means God is love is more than just, well, God is loving or God acts in a loving way. No, he, it doesn't mean, well, he's sometimes love. It means he is love. Why is that such good news? It is his nature to love. That means he doesn't have to wait until he sees something worthy of love in the object of his beloved. He can just love. It means he can love you before you have done anything uh, lovable, before, in fact, you feel on those nights when you feel so broken and so unlovable. Think about it. If it said God is loving, then up to a point, he'd probably still be there for you. And as long as you could maybe get your life together, as long as you could maybe correct something, maybe you could try again next time, maybe, just maybe, he'll love you if he's just sort of, you know, sometimes loving. But if it is nature to love, then that means on those nights when you feel so unlovable, rest in this his love for you does not rest in your lovability but in his very nature God is love if a little child were to ask you why does God love me look him in the eyes and say he loves you because he loves you and if they say well that's not really an answer say I didn't write it he loves you because he loves you that, that song is actually, uh, that chorus we just sang. Uh, uh, da, da, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. He loves you because he loves you. God is love. It is his nature. Now, ponder two more things about this. One, one uh, he... <laughs> Remember, God has existed triune, trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit from all eternity past. One God in three persons. So there's a sense in which God is love, right? That the foundational, when you boil it all down, God is love. There has been eternal love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit before the world was created. That's the first thing I want to say. The other was how easily, how easily in our culture do you think this verse could be misunderstood? Couldn't it? Have you ever heard a coworker or a friend or maybe you yourself thought, you know, all this talk about sin and judgment, doesn't the Bible say God is love? It does. But do you see how somebody could misunderstand and say, no, wait, wait, wait. I like to think of God as a God of love. I, I, I can understand that. I, I don't really want to, I don't, I don't know, God's wrath. I don't like that. I don't, I don't really want to talk about God's wrath or God's holiness or his judgment for sin. I'll just take a God of love. Thank you very much. See? This, of course, reveals a massive misunderstanding about God and love. You know, there's actually four places in the Bible where it says God is. Do you know that? There's lots of places that tell us about what God's like. I'm talking about literally God is blank. Uh, do you know them? Well, here's one. God is love. So now that we only have three left to figure out. I'll give you a hint. One is the woman at the well, John chapter 4. And she's asking, like, where are we supposed to worship? What's the right way to worship? And remember what Jesus says? God is spirit. And they who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, so that's two. The third, um, and please tell me you got this. Even if you could never have remembered this in a million years, it sure would make me feel better if you're like, yeah, of course I knew that. It's right here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what? I, this is the message we have heard from him and now declare to you that God is, remember back in chapter one, God is light. Thank you everyone for saying light together. <laughs> made me feel so good. God is light and in him there's no darkness. That means perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. There's no shadow of turning. 
And the honors class, if given enough time, you know who you are, would have eventually come up with Hebrews chapter 12, our God is a consuming fire. And they would have said, you know, pastor, that's actually a quotation of Deuteronomy 4. And I'm like, okay, I know, you got it. Two gold stars. You got it? God is spirit. God is light. God is a consuming fire. God is love. Does everyone see where I'm going with this? God is light, fire, love. It is important when we think about God, to avoid misunderstanding, to hold all of these biblical assertions together. Meaning, it doesn't mean that God sometimes is light, and at other times he's fire, and at other times he's love, and basically whatever day you pray, good luck. It kind of depends on which day you catch him on. Just like you've had a cantankerous boss or a, a mean-spirited uh, parent who, if you, it, it depends on which day you caught him, whether or not, wh- wh- which, which version they are. I've even heard some people say that's how the Bible is. Well, you know, the Old Testament, consuming fire. The New Testament, love. As if, as if God has some uh, split personality. No, no, no. God is light. God is love. God is consuming fire, which means his light is perfectly holy, expressed in his love, his consuming fire, his wrath against sin. All, if he's light, then all his activity is holy and pure. And if he's love, it means love isn't just one thing he does on certain days, but that all his activity is loving activity. Therefore, if he judges, he judges in love. If, he's ju- if his judging is in love, then his loving is in justice. He who his love is f- light and fire as well. Because he is light, he will not condone sin. And to do so would not be loving. I'm going to read you this sentence and hopefully tie it all together. Maybe I'll, I'll read it twice. John Stott says, His love has found a way to expose sin because he is light and consume sin because he is fire without destroying the sinner because he is love. One more time. His love has found a way to expose sin because he's light, consume sin because he's fire without destroying the sinner because he is love. God is love. And that leads directly to the second point. Love's origin, love's proof. John knows that love, even back then, can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So John wants us to be crystal clear on what love is. How did God show the world what true love is? You wanna know what love is? A lot of us look to our circumstances we look to the good things in our life and we say, well, there must be love in my life because I've got these gifts or, or maybe I doubt the love of God because these bad things are happening. He says, no, 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 no. You wanna know what love is, don't look to your circumstances. You wanna know how God feels about you this morning? Do you wanna know how God put love on display? Uh, he, he manifested his love, he demonstrated his love. The old King James says, he placarded his love for us in this. Look at verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If you want to know what your heavenly father thinks about you this morning, look to the man of sorrows hanging on the cross for you in your place and for your salvation. That's what God thinks of you. He is love and here's how he showed it. There may be no better illustration of the hidden love of God for all eternity displayed than in Helen Waddell's novel, Peter Abelard. Can you imagine a tree with me? Did you know that tree has layers? Think about it, that tree has layers. You see the outermost layer, bark. But year after year, did you know that tree, that's how it grows, it adds a layer. And those layers run the length of the tree, the whole length of the tree, they always have. But I can't prove to you that they're there. They're hidden. How could those layers be made manifest? How could those 
layers that have always been there be shown? Is it not when the tree is felled? When that tree is cut down, look at what's left. As that tree is lying there on its trunk, look into that trunk of that tree. Look at that cross section, and what do you see? Rings. Those rings are the manifestation of the layers that have been running through underneath that you couldn't see all these years. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ, that crucified Messiah at Calvary's tree, is the cross section to show us the hidden love of God that has been running from eternity past to eternity future. The love of God has always been there and will always be there. Where do we see it? When the sinless, spotless Lamb of God was cut down, there we see the manifestation of the love that's always been. That's how he showed it. That's what it means, manifest. And notice too, God sent his only son. Stop right there. Who, 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 I'm sorry. Who initiated this reconciliation mission? Who started this? Isn't that a breach of social etiquette? What do I mean? The person who does the offending is supposed to start the whole reconciliation process. If we're rushing out of here because everyone's so excited about Sunday school and we're in a hurry and I knock you down and and step all over your toes, right? What do I do? Immediately, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I stepped on your toes, I'm so sorry, right? It would be crazy to think, I step all over your toes. Well, well, what? Well, I'm waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for you to begin the reconciliation process. You'd say, what are you talking about? You did the offending. You should start the reconciliation. Aren't you glad that when humans had sinned against a holy God, you think about all the ways we've sinned and all the ways we've been selfish. Aren't you glad that God didn't wait for us to send word to his throne room to begin the terms of reconciliation? God sent his only son. Does that sound familiar? God sent his only begotten son. It should. The same guy who wrote that verse also wrote John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish but have, and here it is, eternal life. Look at the end of that verse, that we might live through him. Someone pointed out to me last week, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Tanya Shearer pointed out to me uh, last week that um, uh, it was two years ago on March 16th, um, two years ago to the day that uh, the whole world shut down. With the pandemic. Hard to believe. I, I, I didn't even notice. You know, I, I of course celebrated Pi Day um, and then the Ides of March, you know, but then I got to, I got to uh, 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 Wednesday, uh, March 16th. She said, yeah, it was two, two years ago. And she said, you know, it could be a coincidence. And several folks have pointed this out. It could be a coincidence that you're telling me the day that God got the world's attention was 316. Could be a coincidence. Or could be that he's still trying to get word to everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? That we might live through him. God did not send Abraham or Moses or one of the prophets. He didn't send an angel. He gave his only begotten son. And you know, it's, when it says the father gave, the father gave the son, the son gave himself. The father sent the son, the son came. The father, watch this, the father did not lay upon the son a cross he was reluctant to bear. And the son did not extract from the father a salvation he was reluctant to bestow. 
how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. His love was not theoretical, he acted. For what purpose? That we might live through him. Paul says in Ephesians that while we are in sin, we are dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses and only he can bring us to new life. Verse 10, not just theoretical, he showed us in this is love, verse 10 says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, uh, that's an entire theology textbook wrapped up into, uh, into one verse, isn't it? Look at this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This means that God's love was not as if God was looking down and saw, oh, yeah, the humans are sinful. They've really messed up. But look, they're turning to me. They really want me. I want them to, you know. Uh, as if this is a reciprocation by God. You know, these sinners are getting their act together. Ah, I'll meet them halfway. No, no. It's not as if humans showed some desire to be with their master and Lord. No, the initiative is entirely God's. He decided to manifest his love to those who do not love him in return and do not love him back, to enemies and rebels armed to the teeth for a world of lost sinners he was slain. We need to acknowledge that once and for all. The reason I think that's so uh, easy to get confused is you hear it so much, whether it's in social media or even in uh, uh, books and just sort of a modern way of thinking, you hear about uh, man's search for God. You know, man's search for God. Humanity's search for God. Will we ever find out? And we're, we're searching for the divine. Uh, you hear that enough and you start to think like you imagine this ridiculous scene where like God is hiding and man is out looking for God, you know. The Bible says that is in fact completely backwards. You got it completely backwards. The Bible would say it is laughable to talk about man's search for God in, in that sense, because from the very opening pages of the Bible, do you remember Adam and Eve? Do you remember the Garden of Eden? From, go all the way back to Genesis three. From the opening pages of the Bible, what happens? After the fall of man, after the rebellion and sin, who goes into hiding and who does the looking? Isn't it true that, that Adam and Eve go into hiding? It's humans who are in hiding, in sin and in shame, hiding the best we can. And who comes out looking? It's God. Hiding in the shame of the garden, Adam doesn't call out to God, God, where are you? No, 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 no. God calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Fast forward thousands of years, you get to Jesus and his famous parable. Do you remember this one? The parable of the lost sheep, you know, it wasn't the sheep who went back looking for the shepherd, was it? It was the good shepherd who came looking for that sheep. One of the great joys of parenting is getting to read to your children before they can read for themselves. It's still fun to read to them even when they can read to themselves, but the best is when they have no idea what these little funny markings that we call the English language are, and they're just zoned in on the pictures. The best books of all don't have pages. They have chunks of cardboard for pages. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't mean flippy books. I mean, right, big chunks. These are books that the child can not only enjoy, but enjoy. Like they can chew on them. They can eat them, right? Books with teeth marks are the best. Can anybody disagree with that? Okay. One of our favorites was this chunky book with big cardboard pages called The Lost Sheep and the Scary Night. And you open it up, and there's this happy sheep, happy with the good shepherd. 
but decides that no, the sheep knows better than the good shepherd and sees this pasture over here and, and leaves the safety of the good shepherd. And, and, and for a while, while the sun is shining, has a glorious time in this pasture. In fact, can't figure out why every other sheep isn't out here away from the confines and authority of the good shepherd. It doesn't use these words, obviously, but you, okay. Uh, and then you turn the page <clears throat> and the plot thickens. Then it was night. And you see that sheep's little eyes, you know, it's dark. And you flip the page. A noisy night. How? You know, and you do the noises. Then you flip it one more time. A nasty, noisy night. And then the car, it's dark, but the cartoon eyes of the scary creatures in the background are there. And the sheep realizes the sheep is in grave danger. But now it's too dark. Even if the sheep wanted to go back, it could never find its way. And there's no evidence really that the sheep even wants to go back. The sheep may be in such despair. So that sheep has but one and only one hope. And just when the child and the reader and everybody is reading this and the sheep feels all hope is lost, the only hope, you flip the page. But all the while, the shepherd was looking. That sheep had only one hope. Can I tell you today, if you're lost, if you don't know him, you're not gonna be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get back to God. If you're lost, you're you're not. The only thing that sheep did in the story was get lost. In fact, I I, I don't mean to discourage or depress, but, but the Bible says you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. There is no hope of walking your way back to God. There is no indication that you would even desire. You've had plenty of chances. How'd that go? You did it. In fact, your only hope, if you're a lost sheep, your only hope is maybe, just maybe, there's a good shepherd still looking for you. He hadn't forgotten your name. He hadn't forgotten what you look like. And I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel is that you have a good shepherd who is still looking for you this morning. He loves you. And he knows you. And he's calling out. And who knows what great cost the shepherd went through to find that sheep that was lost. And I'm convinced that there are, I'm convinced that we have friends who wonder, yeah, they don't know what kind of shepherd is coming. I mean, they've heard God is a consuming fire. After all, God is light. You said that yourself, preacher. God is a consuming fire. When God finds me, I think that's why the world is in hiding. We're ashamed of our sins. You probably have friends who know that they know that they know they need to be in church. They know they need to get right with God. They know it, and they may not admit it, but deep down, they know they are in hiding. And part of what they're in hiding is nobody's ever told them they need to hear. And you, Christian, need never to forget why you can come out of hiding. What kind of God can you expect? Who is this good shepherd who comes to look? And it is the one who loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. Now, There, that is a big word. I I will say, in all my children's books, I never came across the word propitiation. (laughs) What is that word? That is a sacrifice that turns aside wrath, a sacrifice that appeases wrath. You don't hear a lot of folks use that word today. I've never, I've never uh, seen a couple of kids who are running late to class. Oh, we're running late for math class. Oh, she's going to be so mad. I know she's going to be mad. What do we do? Quick, you better find some propitiation. You're not, don't hold your breath for that to happen, right? But we understand this instinctively. God's placed a conscience in us. We understand why atonement must be made. This makes sense, a sacrifice that appeases wrath. Now, if you say, well, wait a minute, why didn't, 
Why is God so concerned with sacrifice? Why doesn't he just wave a magic wand and forgive everyone's sin? Well, you might ask, why, after, why didn't the United States after 9-11 simply wave a magic wand in the courtroom and forgive those terrorists who were captured and found guilty? To ask the question is to answer it. You'd say, well, that'd be wickedly unjust. Exactly, God is not wicked, God is not unjust. So we think about the sacrificial system over and over. Think about Passover, for example. That Passover lamb, if you know the story back in, back in Exodus, back in Egypt, that Passover lamb was slain year after year to, re, to re recall that fateful moment. The, the lamb was slain so that the angel of death would pass over that home. The reason the firstborn child in the Israelite home did not die is because there'd already been a death. That lamb died as a substitute, as a... Uh, uh, an atoning sacrifice. But what lamb, what lamb, I ask you, what, what offering could we possibly make to make propitiation for our sins? We're the ones who have sinned. God has everything. What, what can we possibly offer? What leverage could we get? What could we say, well, this will appease God's righteous wrath? There's nothing. No offering you and I could make would ever make propitiation. So watch this. The only offering that could ever satisfy God has to come from God himself. And that's what we have in Jesus. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's how we know God will accept the sacrifice. He himself provided the lamb. That's why when Jesus showed up at the beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist points out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think of it this way. The essence of sin is when we put ourselves where God alone should be on the throne of the universe. We take control. Ego stands for easing God out. <laughs> we put ourselves there. The essence of God's love is that he came and put himself where we belong on a sinner's cross. This is love. You can come out of hiding today. Last thing. I know that there are some who would say, but how do I know? How can I trust? You don't know my story, preacher. I've fallen too far. Well, listen, it, when the Bible says God is love, what you need to understand is for anybody who says, yeah, but how many times can I dip from the well of forgiveness? If you ever wonder, have I run dry? How many times can I dip the, from the well of God's forgiveness? You might stop and ask yourself, what gave you a right to dip the first time? So if you started this whole thing in his grace, then you are kept in his grace. How do you know? The cross. St. Augustine said the cross is the pulpit in which Christ preached his love to the world. You know God loves us when you look to the cross. It turns out, if everybody says, no, but I've sinned too far, oh, stop. He is a better savior than you are a sinner. In light of all this comes the final point. Love's origin, love's point, and finally, love's demand. Look at what love demands of us. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, take everything I just said about God's love, we also ought to love one another. You see what he's saying? Go ahead. Go ahead. You got somebody you can't love? All right. Take everything I just said about God's love. Take the man of sorrows there at Calvary's cross. And go ahead. Take every excuse you have and wiggle out of that one if you can Really? Go ahead. No, no, let's do it. Take every resentment. Oh, but they really hurt. Okay, I'll grant you that. They were really nasty. I'll not only grant you that, I'll grant you that they were probably even nastier than you give them credit for because think about how nasty they were behind your back and you didn't even get to hear their nastiness. 
I'll see you're nasty and raise you a wicked. <laughs> Take every resentment, every excuse, every but they did, but she said, but Take every bit of that. Take every resentment and every excuse and every reason why you, it's not, you don't have to love them. I, I, I can't love them. I won't love them. Take all that and put it at the foot of the cross where the man of sorrows stretched out his arms and died for sins he did not commit, for offenses for which he was not guilty. Look at the man of sorrows there on the cross dying for you and in your place and tell me, does that not burn like a consuming fire through every one of those flimsy excuses and resentments that we have? How can we wiggle out of this command? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you're guilty of that, if that is convicting, by the way, if you say, yeah, I've, I've done that, I've brought all sorts of petty grievances and all sorts of reasons why I can't love, and here at the foot of the cross, I realize that is, well, the word petty doesn't even begin to describe it. Well, then let me ask you, what does God do with you? What does God do with petty, unforgiving people like us? He forgives. Go to him. He loves you. And here he is inviting you to his table. Why? God is love. It's in his nature. Repent and anew and, 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 and take fresh hope in the full and free forgiveness of a God who is love. I want to pray for us. Now would be a good time to find that uh, 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 communion elements, the Lord's Supper elements. Uh, if anybody did not receive the Lord's Supper elements on the way in, we have deacons and some trays here, and they would love nothing more than to serve you. Oh, they're already there. Just put your hand in the air. We always have folks that, uh, that get in and uh, are not yet able to get. Put it up high. We want to make sure everybody has one who's partaking today before we begin. Anybody? Anybody in the balcony? Okay, thank you. We have a deacon up there just making sure. Okay. Yep. As that's going around, I want to lead us in a prayer. And I want to I hope that these words from 1 John have prepared our hearts like a meditation. And I want every head bowed, every eye closed. God, grant us now to hear from you and to do this in remembrance of you in a way that puts new courage and new life into believers. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that today would be that day. That's my prayer. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to uh, talk to two separate groups of people. First, if you're here, no one's looking around. If you're here and you would say, you talked about the cross today. You talked about how he died on the cross for me. Preacher, I don't know that I've ever been saved. I don't know that I'm born again. And yet when, when the word went out today, it's like the Holy Spirit, well, I, I think what's happening is the Holy Spirit was bringing you to new life but you may not even have a concept for that yet. You may feel so far from God, but for some reason, you, you know today he loves you. And you would say, I, I, I've never been saved, or, or I don't know that I've been saved. If that's you, I, I, I don't want you to leave this thinking, well, I'm not yet a believer, so I, I, I don't take the Lord's Supper yet. I don't have anything to receive. Oh, no, 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 no. You have something to receive. In fact, someone. It will do you no good to take these symbols. You need to receive the one to whom the symbol points. You need to receive Jesus right here, right now. 
You can cry out to him with a simple prayer. You can respond to what he's doing by the Holy Spirit right now. If that's you, if you would say, I, I've never been saved, or I don't know if I've ever been saved. I don't know if I've been uh, born again. If that's you, if you'd like prayer, if you'd like to make us aware of that, Pastor Scott's here, he's, he's looking around, he's here, he's ready. He won't come to you or embarrass you, but if that's you and you'd say, I need to talk to somebody about this, I'm praying to God right now with all my heart. I, I, I don't know that I've ever been saved. I need to be saved. If that's you, you could just put your hand up high in the air. Let us know. Let me know how we might pray for you. Okay. I don't see any, so I'll move on to the second part of this response. You are a believer. You hold in your hand right now this symbol, uh, the bread and the cup. It is very possible, believer, it is very possible for you to have a week or a month or a year where you say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Here I am, I'm gonna take this, this Lord's Supper and I don't feel very holy. I, don't, I, I feel like I, I just mess up all the time. I'm such a failure. Oh, I wanna push back on that. I want you to really think about the implications of that. Understand the gospel. Let it go deep into your heart. You know better than that. You don't come to this table today because you're worthy. You come because he is worthy and he died for unworthy sinners like you and me. So your invitation here is grace. It's his love for you. He is love. Besides, if you felt you were worthy, what kind of prideful attitude would that be? (laughs) So no, 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 no. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Receive it, take it, it's for sinners. And take fresh courage and a desire to walk with him. Let, let that be renewed in a wonderfully new way as we partake. So I wanted to give those two invitations before we partake as we prepare our hearts. And God, we pray that your word would do exactly what it's supposed to do, to touch and anoint, convict and heal. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.